I'm aware that some of us will know the figure of Peter. Others of us won't have much of an idea who he is and what he was about. So just very, very quickly, I'm just going to give a little bit of an introduction to him before I jump into my topic for today. So Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Uh, He was one of the first disciples called to follow Jesus, and he lived intimately with him for three years. He then ended up uh, actually being one of the leaders of the the early church. So he was one of the first leaders of the church once Jesus had died and rose again and then ascended into heaven. He was a fisherman, uh, which would have meant that he was relatively uneducated, but a very practical man, very skilled, very hardworking. Um, And some some people actually believe that he ran a relatively successful fishing business. So he was doing probably okay for himself. Um, Peter was originally called Simon, which is a little bit confusing, but when you read the New Testament, you'll see him referred to as Simon, Simon Peter, or Peter. And that's because when he first met Jesus, almost one of the first things Jesus said to him was like, oh, hey, you're Simon, I'm going to call you Peter. Uh, which, you know, wasn't going down too well if I do that, if I say, hey, J- oh, James is James. Oh, hey, I'm going to call you Dave. Uh, you know, we don't tend to do that, but what Jesus wanted to do back in, um, uh, in, in this point of history, the meaning of names was super important. And so what Jesus was saying to him when he called him Peter was really saying to him, what I'm saying is I'm calling you a rock. I'm calling you steadfast. I'm saying something about who you are. So that is why Jesus did that. Uh, He was married. Jesus actually healed his mother-in-law, which is a big win. Uh, (laughs) You know what? I've got a little bit more to say, but let me, I'm going to jump forward. Uh, You know, Peter had soaring highs as as following Jesus. He was the first disciple to acknowledge that Jesus was the Son of God and was who he says he was. He he walked on water alongside Jesus. He saw people raised from the dead. He kind of had a pretty good time in some areas, but also he was reassuringly human. He was often the disciple to ask Jesus questions, willing to admit that we don't get that parable. Can you explain it to us? He, he wanted to, I love this, he wanted to know what the reward for following Jesus was. He was just like, hey, we're giving up quite a lot. Like, I'm just going to want to make sure that I'm going to get something for this. So very human. Love it. He often acted or spoke before he thought. He was impulsive and loyal. Sometimes he was hot-headed. I loved, he denies Jesus when he gets scared. How human is that? I love this moment as well. He misunderstood what Jesus was trying to tell him at one point. And then, and then he told Jesus that he was wrong. And then Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. I'm going to say that's like top things you don't want to hear from Jesus. <laughs> he spends three years with a pacifist. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then in the, in the kind of critical moment when they're confronted with their enemies, he pulls out his sword and chops off his ear. And Jesus is like, dude, have you not been with me for the last three years? That is not how we do things here. And then he has to heal the guy who is about to arrest him. So Peter, he has these moments where he really gets it right, but often he doesn't. And I love that because despite his flaws, despite his denial of Jesus, God showers him with forgiveness and grace and actually uses him to build the early church. And so as we look Uh, At the life of Peter, as we learn from him this summer, I hope that we will all be inspired and comforted because if Jesus can use Peter, he can use me and he can use you. So that is a very quick introduction to Peter. We'll learn much more about him as we go on. But today we are going to learn from Peter about the lesson of obedience So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up with me to 1 Peter 1. Uh, If you don't know what that is, just go to the end of your Bible and flick back a few pages and you'll get there. 
As Alice said, if you don't have a Bible today, we would love to give you one for free. They're downstairs. Uh, The words will also come up on the screen behind me so you can follow along. Peter is writing this letter to the followers of Jesus who are in exile and being persecuted currently. So they're they're in suffering at this moment. We're just going to read a few verses. So we're going to start in 1 Peter 1. We're going to read the first two verses and then we're going to jump forward to verse 14. So it says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, that means his chosen people, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, I think Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours to in abundance. Now, as we read those first few verses, we can get lost in the list of places and the slightly confusing languages. You know, a sanctifying work, sprinkled with blood, that's all a bit odd to us. Now, th- those are great things and they're for another time. But what we need to get here is, is Peter's writing to persecuted Christians and he's saying to them, God chose you before you chose him. And you were chosen to be obedient to Jesus. Let's pick it up a few verses later, verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Because our freedom came at such a price, it was not a trivial thing. But God loved us so much that he took the weight of all of our mistakes, of all of our mess up, of all of our sin, and he shed his blood as he died for us on the cross. And it's because of that that we become obedient children. Now, I am aware that as I talk about the topic of obedience, as I mention it, the room is probably not jumping for joy thinking, oh, I can't wait for this one. (laughs) There might be a number of you here who uh, every rebellious hair on your body is kind of on end right now. And it's like, I don't want to talk about this. Obedience is not something we talk about very much in our culture. It's not a word we use in everyday conversations. I don't sit at work on a Monday morning, kind of writing my emails. And when a colleague says, hey, what are you up to? I'm just like, oh, I'm, I'm obeying my boss. It's not a phrase we use. When, when we ground a teenager, they don't say, oh, okay, I will obey the command of my parents. No, they don't. You say to them, you do what I tell you to do. And they're like, no, you're so unfair. I thought you loved me. They, they react badly. Something in them reacts badly to it. And in a teenager's response, we find the crux of our view of obedience. There's something in us that struggles with it. Now, we tend to view obedience as restrictive and oppressive. That obedience is an issue related to us not doing something that we wanted to do. Let me ask you a question as we begin. How do you view obedience? Is it a good thing? Or do you feel that it's restrictive and it's oppressive? In our culture, obedience is typically seen as a negative action. Think about some of the main viewpoints of the last 10 to 20 years. 
And how at the core of them is this idea that we shouldn't obey anyone other than us. So about 10, 15 years ago, we had the rise of new atheism. Many of you will remember Richard Dawkins' book, The God Delusion, and others are thinking in a similar way to that. And at the core of his message was, there is no God, there is no one to obey. What about the rise of individualism? We've spoken quite a lot about this in our church over the last year. And at the heart of it, it's reject external authority. No one can tell you what to do. Just do what makes you feel good. At the core of that, there's no one to obey. Over the last five years, we've seen a rise of spirituality. A lot of people now would begin to say, I'm quite a spiritual person. But what happens with that is that it's wrapped within the rise of individualism and it is about positive experiences and about finding happiness. So again, at its core, it's not about obeying anyone or anything that doesn't bring you happiness. It equals obey no one. Obedience, as we think about it, can draw ideas of submissiveness and meekness. We can view obedient people as weak, people who just do what they're told, who don't stand up for themselves, people who we think don't value themselves or maybe even don't think for themselves. And as a culture, we glorify rule breakers. We like those who rebel, think punk rock bands. There's something that endears us to the people who stick it to the man. And you know, there'll be some of us in the room who like to be the person who does stick it to the man. We just like to break the rules. We like to push the boundaries. There's something in us that doesn't like being told what to do. that's okay. They're often the independent, the fiery ones of us, and there's so much goodness in that. You know, there'll be others of us, though, and we're here, and we actually quite like structure. We quite like orders. We quite like the kind of clear parameters over how we should do, uh, do things and what we should do. We quite like, maybe we wouldn't use the language of obedience, but we quite like this idea of, of knowing what we need to do. Now, I have used this word obedience a lot so far this morning, but what do I actually mean when I say it? And more importantly, what does the Bible have to say about it? Well, quite a lot, actually. Throughout the pages of Scripture, obedience comes up time and time again. Let me just pick out three very quick examples. The first one from the Old Testament, Joshua 1, verse 8. We looked at this book last year. We did a long series in it. And verse 8 says this, Keep this book of law, which is talking about the Old Testament here, always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. May be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Luke 11, jumping forward now, in the New Testament, this is a gospel, a story, the one of the four written about Jesus' life. And this is Jesus speaking. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And then John 14, verse, there's three verses I'm going to pull out here, 15, 21, and 23. Jesus says this, If you love me, keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus replied, verse 23, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Time and time again, this idea comes up. And at the heart of it, obedience is about submitting ourselves to the will of God and obeying his commands. Another way of saying it is obedience is to trust God and to do what he says. 
Eugene Peterson, who wrote the paraphrase version of the Bible, the message, puts it this way. Obedience is living in active response to the living God. I love that. It's an active response, a choice to say, okay, what does God want me to think? What does he want me to feel? What does he want me to believe? What does he want me to do or not to do? To start or stop, to repent, to live out, to celebrate, to worship, to praise, to thank him for, to lament, to to mourn. You know, the list goes on. It's about us actively responding to God and asking questions. Okay, if this is true, what does it mean? How should I behave? How should I live? Obedience is trusting God and doing what he says. Okay, great. That's cool. Kind of get that idea. But we, as we talk about obedience, need to be crystal clear on this next point. So let's jump back into the passage that we read at the start from 1 Peter. Let's read verse 2. So this is Peter. This is, he's opening this letter to, to Christians in exile and in suffering. And he says this to the people of God, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. There are two very, very important words in this verse. To be It's easy when we read it to miss them, to not think what that actually means. But Peter is saying that we were chosen by God to be obedient to Jesus Christ, not because we were obedient to Jesus Christ. And it's an important distinction. And this is the thing that we have to grasp as we're here today. That the choice of God comes before our obedience. He chose us before we obeyed his commands. Our obedience is not the reason that we are saved. Our salvation is the reason for our obedience. Peter wants to hammer this idea home, so we jump forward to verse 14 that we read. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Peter uses the term children. He could have used servants or followers of Christ or brothers and sisters, but he doesn't. He uses children. Why? Because here, again, he's trying to hammer home this important point. Okay, parents in the room, there are many of you here. The evening service, we won't have too many, but you will get this. Are your kids still your kids when they don't do what you want them to do? Yes, unfortunately. When you're in the supermarket and your precious three-year-old is having a full-on tantrum because you won't let them have some Peppa Pig branded cereal, they are still your child, even if maybe you don't want them to be in that moment. Their disobedience doesn't change that fact. And even if they obeyed you every single time that you asked them to do something, that would not make them more your child. Sure, it might make you like them more, but it won't make them more your child. Peter is hammering home a point here. Obedience doesn't lead to our relationship with God. We are his children because of his choice. And out of that reality, we live in obedience. And the danger is, for those of us who follow Jesus and maybe have followed Jesus for a while, we can get caught in this loop where we're actually like, our obedience is what has got us into right relationship with Jesus. And that is just not true. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus yet, this is so key for you to hear. That that God has chosen you. That he's looked at you and he said, I want relationship with you. So much that I would die for you so that you could enter freely into a relationship with me. 
And then after that, yeah, let's talk about obedience. But let's just get this right to begin with. It's not because of what you've done. It's because of what I've done. Our obedience does not earn our place in the family of God. Okay, so if we don't need to be obedient to be saved, why be obedient? Well, the first reason we find a few verses later in verse 18 and 19. So let's jump to those. So this is Peter saying, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We are to be obedient because we know the price that was paid for us. Because if it is true that the God of the universe stepped into a human body to live a perfect life, to die upon the cross, and then to rise from the dead in order that I could be forgiven and enter into freedom with him, then he is worthy of my obedience. You know what? I don't have to obey but it becomes my honor to obey because of what he has done. That as I come into understanding that truth, my heart is transformed by the gospel. And then as a response, I obey. When we realize you know, the depths of our sin and the outrageous grace that is shown to us by God, it becomes natural to humble ourselves, to submit ourselves, and to say, you know what, I am not worthy. You are worthy. And because of who you are and because of what you've done, I will trust you and I will do what you say. The first reason for our obedience always has to be that God saved us because of what he did, that our response is that we obey. The second reason, though, as much as obedience isn't how we earn our place in the family, we don't earn it, it was a free gift of grace from Jesus. Obedience is how we mature in our faith. To put it like this, obedience is how we come to a deeper understanding of the truth and live in the freedom available to us. So sure, you don't need to obey Jesus' commands in order to come into relationship with him. But to begin to live out the freedom that he offers, we actually have to begin to obey what he says. In the Gospel of John, chapter 8, Jesus says this in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, another way of saying, if you obey what I'm saying, if you do what I'm saying, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. As I obey Jesus' teaching, as I live in active response to God, I begin to know his truth deeper in my soul, and then that leads to greater freedom in my life as I become more like Jesus. Jesus said, and I love that we sang this this morning, and it, like, we didn't kind of coordinate about it. I actually spoke to Naomi just before the worship set, and she said, oh, what are you speaking on is obedience. And she was like, oh, amazing, we're actually going to sing a song on that. And it was just so perfect that we sang about, it's my joy to lose my life and find it in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, those who lose their life will find it in Matthew 10. He says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied in Matthew 5. And this is the economy of the kingdom of God. That as we humble ourselves, as we submit ourselves to God's authority, we actually find fullness of life and joy and freedom. See, our culture says that to be free is to not obey anyone and to not be under any authority. 
that you are your own authority. And that's the only way you can get freedom. But Jesus said the complete opposite. He said the way to freedom is by coming under my authority, coming under my commands, obeying them, and then finding out the truth. And then as you learn and grow in the truth, you grow in freedom and you find true freedom. So obedience isn't how we get into relationship with God, but it is how we grow in relationship with God. Now, sometimes the obedience will flow naturally out of a response to God's love for us. We'll feel so in love with God. We'll have those you know, moments where it's like, wow, Jesus, you're so amazing. And it's my joy to do what you say. And as Jesus says in John 8, he says, I do what pleases the Father. And we have those moments where we're like, yes, God, I'm in. I just want to do what pleases you. But at other times, obedience comes through gritted teeth and in opposition to what we actually want to do in a moment. It's a bit like, you know, the early stages of dating where when you're in it, it's like the best thing. And when you're outside of it, it's a bit grace. And, and in those moments, those early stages, it's all just like, oh, honey bunches and sweetie pie. And will you rub my feet? Of course, I'd love to. And would you cook me dinner? It's like, yes, I'll make you a three-course meal and I'll fold the napkins into little swans and it'll be wonderful. And that's the early stage, and it's just obedience, sorry, not obedience, love just flows out of us, this extravagance, this desire to love and to serve the other person. And then you get married. <laughs> and then it's suddenly like, hey, would you rub my feet? And it's like, no, <laughs> my hands are tired. Here's a golf ball. You can stand on it. It does the same thing. May or may not be a conversation we have regularly in our household. <laughs> I will say no more. But suddenly, to love and serve the other person becomes a choice. And the reality is that sometimes you don't want to choose it. The same is true for obedience. Sometimes you just don't want to be obedient. And some of us are sat here and it's like, oh, praise the Lord, because I really don't want to be. And that's okay. That's the reality. Maybe in general, you're just someone who does not like to be told what to do. And so this whole idea, you're just unpacking a lot of like, well, I, this just doesn't feel natural to me. It's not my natural go-to. So when Jesus says this, I find it super difficult. It's like, okay, this is just going to be maybe something that's a bit harder for you to walk through. Maybe you're here today and there's a specific area that's coming to mind that you're really aware that you're being disobedient to Jesus that you're following him and there's something in your finances or maybe your sexuality or your pride or your relationships that you know is, is not in line with how he would have you live. And you're here and, and you're just ultimately like, God, I just don't want to give this area to you. Sometimes obedience is tough and we don't want to do it, but it's a choice. And I love that Jesus wasn't immune to this choice. He had his own moments where his obedience was through gritted teeth. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane just before he was arrested and then killed, we see him wrestle with what God has asked him to do. This happens in Matthew 26. In verse 37, he takes Peter, the man we're looking at this summer, and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And then verse 39, he says this, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. A choice. 
This was not a moment of easy, joyous obedience for Jesus. This was a moment of choice through gritted teeth, where the reality was, he was like, I don't want to do this. But what he did was he humbled himself. He recognized who his father was and said, you know what, God, but if this is what you're asking of me, I will do it. I don't want to, but I will. And that is the choice that we have. Will we say yes? I asked a question earlier. How do you view obedience? Let me ask a few more. How are you doing with obedience to Jesus? Are there areas of your life that you know that you are disobeying Jesus in? Have you slipped into thinking that your obedience has earned your place with Jesus? Those are tough questions when we give them thought. And you know what? If you're here and, and you don't know Jesus, these aren't really the questions to start with because we're not expecting you to be living up to his behavioral standards or what he asks of us. That's not, it, the question for you is, okay, is, is Jesus worth following? That's the question to ask if you're here and you don't know him yet. And then if you decide yes, if you weigh up the cost and you decide yes, then it's like, okay, well now, what does it look like for my life to come into obedience to Jesus? Maybe you're here and you're, you're kind of up for this, but you have no real idea what the journey of obedience looks like. If that's you, you know what, my encouragement would be, get a couple of people around you, get a couple of friends, and start with the two commandments that Jesus said, sum up everything. This is in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets, so all of the Old Testament, hang on these two commandments. So if you're not sure where to start in this journey of obedience, just get some friends around you and go, Hey, well, what does it look like for us to obey this? What does it look like for us to live in active response to this? to love my neighbor as myself, to love God with my whole heart, to hold nothing back from him. The reality is, obedience isn't a quick fix. Eugene Peterson, who I quoted earlier, has also described obedience like this. It is a long walk in the same direction. The beauty of it is that it is just us taking step after step after step in one direction. And sometimes, you know, we'll feel like we're not moving for very long. Maybe we're taking some steps backwards. We go off to the left, off to the right. And the grace of Jesus is that he always welcomes us back onto the path. But ultimately, as we go on this journey of obedience, it is just us trying to say yes to Jesus and to what he asks of us and trying to stay true to that for the long haul. So what does it look like for you? It's all well and good us talking about this, but what does the next step look like for you? Is it that you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time? That would be amazing. What a thing to do today. Maybe it's that you need to, there's an area of your life and you're like, God, I just need to confess this to you. I need to repent of it and I need to obey what you're actually asking me to do. Maybe the Lord has been speaking to you about a specific thing, maybe starting a small group or starting a business or moving jobs or whatever it may be. 
And it's that moment where you go, actually, there's been some disobedience in my soul. You have been speaking, Lord, and I have not been listening. Or I've been ignoring you. I'm going to obey you. Maybe it's just taking a next step and growing to become like Jesus, becoming more hospitable, showing care for the poor, praying for the sick, whatever it may be. The reality is, as a church, as Alice said, we're in a really exciting season. We're a multi-site church and we're launching our next site. We're going again. And that takes a huge amount of obedience. And, you know, some of us in the room may go and that would be amazing. Many of us won't go. But that doesn't mean that we don't get to ask our question, the question, Jesus, what are you asking of me in this season? What are you, you know what, and it's not to prescribe that. It's not to say, oh, that means joining more teams and doing, those things are helpful and they're really good. But the question is, Jesus, what are you asking of me in this season? And then the key is just going, okay, Lord, I'll obey it. Because that's how I'm going to mature in my faith with you. But the key is, as we wrestle with obedience, that we never lose sight of what Peter was saying. That we were chosen to be obedient, not because we were obedient. That we are obedient children. That the Father's grace and his mercy allow us into relationship with him. And it's off of that that we step into obedience. So why don't we stand?